Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 this morning, continuing to study through Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And last week we left off there at the end of chapter 4, and Paul used that illustration from the life of Abraham, and he talked about how that we are free now in Christ. And, and just like Abraham sent Ishmael and Hagar packing, so too we need to, to send the, the bondage and the legalism of approaching God in our own human efforts packing. And the last thing that Paul says is, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free and that really now leads us into chapter 5, where verse 1 really sums up chapter 4 for us, where Paul talks about this freedom and that we need to, to send the slavery to the flesh packing. He says, as he sets the stage now for chapter 5, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so this verse sets the stage for really the theme of this section where Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. And he tells us to stand fast in that. That's a phrase that Paul loves to use. Stand fast. Don't be moved. Don't be swayed away from this. Stand firm in the liberty that you have in Christ. And as Americans, we cherish and value liberty. In fact, we have troops in the Middle East right now who are fighting for our liberty. And I think like never before, we're aware of how easily our liberties politically can be taken away. And that's what these terrorists are trying to do and even in Europe you see these rallies where they, they hold up these signs that say you know freedom is from this from the great Satan you know and and why anybody would want to be put under political slavery why anybody would want to be under the bondage of some kind of Islamic regime is beyond us as Americans we don't understand that why would you want to be under that kind of tyranny. But I think Paul, as he writes to the Galatians, is puzzled just the same as why in the world would you want to be under the bondage of legalism? Why would you want to be yoked again with the slavery of trying to approach God in your own human efforts? And Paul says, stand fast in the liberty you have in Christ. I think one of the reasons that people are moved away from the liberty we have in Christ, and one of the reasons people will be shackled and yoke themselves up with the bondage of legalism, is because people think that the law will keep them in check. If Christians are free from the law, then we're going to live wretched lives. We're going to go crazy. We're going to just party and, and yet, it isn't the law that controls our flesh. It, it isn't the law that creates holiness. It's this mentality that doesn't understand grace. Because grace, not the law, 
is the greatest deterrent of sin. It's grace that actually creates and motivates holiness in our life. We think it's the law. We think it's putting all kinds of burdens upon ourselves. We think it's rules and regulations. But those things actually just create rebellion. As children, we needed rules and regulations and we needed boundaries. My kids certainly do because their minds have not been developed to the point where they can make good choices, where they can discern right from wrong, where they can understand a good choice as opposed to a bad choice. They, they don't know that if they run out into the highway, they're going to get ran over. They, they think it's really cool to take paint and, you know, smear it all over the walls or other things all over the walls, you know. They, they think that that's just good fun. They think it's great to throw rocks at my truck, you know. They don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand making good choices. And so you have to help them with that. But hopefully, somewhere along the, the line, you're going to be able to take away all the rules and let your kids do their own thing. And I remember when I was 18 and, and away from the house and, you know, went off to Bible college. I remember driving down to Southern California to go to Bible college and just thinking, I'm free. I don't have to, you know, be home at a certain time. I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to mow the yard. You know, I don't have to do anything except what I choose to do. And it was just like amazing, you know, it's like spreading your wings and flying, you know. And there should come a point where you let your kids do that and and you allow them to do that. And the same is true in that we at one time, or at least people at one time, were under the law. The law served as a guardian The law served as a tutor. But then when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. He set people free. And how ridiculous to be put back under that kind of bondage. It would be like a child saying, you know, I want to be under those rules and regulations and guidelines again. I want you to tell me when to be home. And I want I want to have to come over and mow the yard. You know, I I want to spend my Saturday doing whatever dad wants me to do around the house. That would be crazy. And it's the same in relationship to the law and grace. Why, once you've been set free, would you want to be put under that kind of burden again? Paul is just puzzled by this. He doesn't understand. And so the theme of our text this morning is freedom, it's liberty. And freedom is the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement. It's exemption from external control, interference, and regulation. And so in verse 1, Paul sets the stage for the three points that we're going to see in this section. We're going to see that we're free from approaching God by the law. We're free from that. We're going to see that we're free from living in legalism. And then thirdly, we're going to see that we're free from selfishness, from self-centeredness. And so let's 
read the first section, verses 1 through 6, as we see that we're free from approaching God by the law. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so Paul makes it very clear here that we are free from approaching God by the law. He says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, obviously, Paul is not opposed to circumcision as a practice specifically. That isn't the issue. What he's talking about is circumcision as a sort of definition, a symbol for the whole law. Circumcision was their way of saying that this is how you approach God. If you want to have relationship with God, if you want to know God, you have to be circumcised. And so it was more than just the act of circumcision. It was the fact that they were saying that is how you approach God. And it was a symbol for the entirety of the law. And in light of that, Paul is saying, if you think that your circumcision or your keeping of the law is that which is going to make you acceptable to God, then Christ will profit you nothing. Because you see, grace and works are mutually exclusive. And so you either approach God by your works or by grace. And if you approach God by your works, you'll soon find out that you fall miserably short. But if you approach God by His grace, you see that it's what Jesus did. That He is the one that gives us acceptance in the eyes of the Father. He said, it is finished. And by His blood, we are given righteousness. He who knew no sin was made to be sin with our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so it's one or the other. And one is failed and doesn't work. And the other brings acceptance in God's sight. But you can't mix them. And that's what these Judaizers, these false teachers there in Galatia were trying to do. They were trying to mix the law and grace. They were trying to mix keeping the law and approaching God by the law with coming to Jesus and approaching God purely by what He did. And they had this sort of mutated gospel. And it's like oil and water. They don't mix at all. You can't have both. So what you get is a destroyed and destructive gospel. That's what they had. And that's what Paul is trying to free them from. 
And then he goes on to say that there's two results of approaching God by the law. If you want to approach God by the law, then there's going to be two repercussions that will result. Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And so the first thing is that you actually become obligated to the law, to keep the entirety of the law. There were over 600 commands in the law. And now if you think you're going to approach God in the law by your own efforts, if you think circumcision is the thing that God is going to be stoked about, then you are actually putting yourself under the entirety of the law. And you become obligated to keep the entire law. Now, we don't often think about that. When we think that we're going to approach God by our own good works, we think about the things that we're kind of good at. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, God's going to see this and, you know, he knows that I've helped old ladies across the street. And I mean, he's going to be so pleased with that. But we don't think about all of the sin in our life. We don't think about all of the stuff that God sees that is absolutely opposed to him. We don't see our heart. The Bible says that our heart is deceptively wicked. And who can know it? The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Not to mention our sin, but our righteousness is. We don't think about the fact that our heart needs to be changed. And that's the problem with legalism. And that's the problem with approaching God by your own human efforts is that we only think about the exterior stuff. That was the Pharisees. They wanted people to see that they prayed a lot, that they gave money, that they were really righteous externally. But Jesus saw through that facade, He saw their hearts. And Jesus sees through the facade of our own lives, and He sees our hearts. You know, we, you can put a nice face on a building, but if the inside is dilapidated and full of mold and rats and walls are falling apart and the floor is caved, you know, and it's sloped, you can put the nice facade on the building, but it doesn't make it a structurally sound building. It doesn't make it a valuable building. It still needs to be torn down, no matter what you do to the outside. You can put a coat of paint on a crummy building, and it's still a crummy building. And we try to put a coat of paint on this life, and we try to look good. But God sees through all of that, and He sees our heart. And only Jesus can change our heart. And that's what He wants. Our human nature is to try to change the outside of things, and yet... It's an effort in futility. And so the first thing that happens is that you are indebted to keep the whole law. You have to keep everything. And the second thing that happens is that you separate yourself from Jesus. If you want to approach God by the law, you separate yourself from Jesus. He says in verse 4, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. 
you have fallen from grace. These guys came into the church and churches of Galatia, and they were telling them, hey, do you want to be close to the Lord? This is how you can do it. Do you want to be close to Jesus? Well, here's how you can do it. This is the way. When in fact, it brought them further away from Jesus. See, we think that legalism and approaching God in our own efforts is something that will make us more holy and more righteous and closer to God. But in fact, it drives us away from Him. And that's what Paul makes clear here. And it's sad. The thing that we think will make us more acceptable to God actually makes us opposed to God. Trying to come to Him in your own human efforts and works makes you an enemy of God. And we don't often think about that. We don't often think about the fact that our righteousness is not something that is appealing to God. It's not something that God wants to see us trying to relate to Him by. It's Jesus and Him alone. Otherwise, we're an enemy of God. And it's really sad when you see someone that knows the Lord and Jesus is in their heart, but they're still trying to relate to God in their own efforts. And they're still bound up with rules and regulations. And again, it's like an adult who at 40 years old decides he's going to move back in with mom and dad, live in the basement, and have them tell him what to do. It's just not right. It's just weird. And that's just like trying to relate to God by the law as a believer. It estranges you from Christ. It, it makes you opposed to God. Separates you from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. And I love that. So it, not only is it circumcision that does not avail anything or that has no merit in God's eyes, but uncircumcision doesn't either. And so don't be prideful about your liberty, in other words. Don't think that, that you're really set apart and more spiritual because you're not under the law. It, it's neither one of those things. It's a balance of just coming to Jesus. That's what God wants. By faith, working through love. And so the first point we see is that we're free from approaching God by the law. The second thing that we see in verses 7 through 12 is that we're free from living in legalism. Now, initially, maybe those points don't seem to be distinct. Free from approaching God by the law, free from living in legalism. But here's the point. The first thing that we see is people who are approaching God personally by the law. But this next point is people that take it the next step, where they not only say, yeah, I need to do that, but they say, so does everybody else. And they begin to mandate legalism for everyone. They begin to put burdens and bondages upon everyone. And so not only do they want to try to hike up the mountain with all kinds of burdens on themselves, they want everyone else to do it as well. 
it reminds me of a story. The first hiking trip I ever went on was with my youth group. I was probably a freshman in high school. And, you know, I'd never been hiking, so I didn't know how to pack, you know. So I, I brought, like, canned goods, and I brought this little cast iron skillet, you know, and I had it all in my pack. And, and I show up, and my youth pastor was going through everybody's bags, making sure, you know, it was packed right. And he gets to mine, he's like, what in the world are you doing? He's like, this thing weighs like 7,000 pounds. You're never going to make it. And so then, you know, he, he took stuff out and we replaced it with other things. And, you know, he threw the cast iron skillet in the bushes, you know. He's like, get rid of this thing. And, and so then after the trip, we got back and he went down to Yardbirds with this store in, in my hometown, Olympia. And on the wall in their sporting goods department, they had this giant cast iron skillet. And so he said, hey, could I borrow that? I want to get a picture. So he, they took it down. He got this little tiny pack, the, like a little kitty backpack. And he took a picture of him holding the skillet up, trying to cram it into the bag, right? And so then when we did the slideshow, he's like, yeah, here's Ryan showing up with his cast iron skillet, you know. And so he made fun of me for that for years. And the thing is, is that that's like what what we do, trying to come to God with all kinds of burdens. And God says, I've set you free from that. You can't walk with me with all that stuff. Get rid of it. But these false teachers were not only content with doing that themselves, they wanted everybody else to be packing those burdens around as well. You know, misery loves company. And he says, you ran well, verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul loved to use the illustration of running. We're in a race. And he says, you were running well. I mean, you were doing great. You were just trucking along. And somebody has thrown you off course. Someone is hindering you. It reminds me of some time back. I, I, it's probably 20 years ago. But you remember there was this guy. He's about to finish a marathon. He's, he's winning the marathon. He's almost across the finish line, and then some lunatic, the same guy that like runs out on the NASCAR tracks and stuff, this lunatic comes running out of the crowd and tackles him. And then other people pass him up, and the guy didn't win the race. And I mean, the guy is livid, right? And he's about to finish, and somebody comes up and just takes him out. And that image is in my mind as I read this. You were running well, but somebody came up, some lunatic has come out of nowhere and hindered you in your walk with Christ. Why would you allow that? Why would you allow somebody to cram canned goods and cast iron skillets into your pack? You were doing well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. In other words, this isn't coming from the Lord, man. I don't know where this is coming from, but it ain't God. So get rid of it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And those of you that cook and bake bread and stuff, you know that it doesn't take a lot of leaven. Just a little bit of yeast. And I mean, you got you got rising going on, right? If you put a lot of yeast, I mean, you're going to have it everywhere. It'll be like just bubbling out of the stove. It doesn't take a lot. And when you put that yeast in there, it permeates the whole lump. And so, too, false teaching and destructive doctrine, it will permeate the whole church. And that 
is more dangerous than just being personally legalistic. When now you start to put that on other people, it starts to fester. It starts to destroy. And a little bit of that will leaven the whole lump. Paul says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And Paul's like, you know, I, I believe the best. I, I think you guys are going to come back to the truth. As for these false teachers, I don't know about them. But I, I really believe you guys are going to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. And he says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. There was this notion that Paul was teaching circumcision. That he was telling people that they needed to be circumcised and to be saved. And so they were using Paul as a validation for their false teaching. Paul's like, look, if I was actually teaching that, why would I be persecuted? And probably the reason that Paul was being falsely accused of this is because in Galatia, he actually had Timothy circumcised in Acts chapter 16. He actually told Timothy that this would be good for his ministry so that he could relate to more people. So that he would have a a wider scope of people to relate to and to minister to. And so they probably took that and ran with it. And Paul's saying, look, if that was the case, I would be free from the persecution from the Jews that I'm receiving. I mean, I'm getting stoned and beat everywhere I go. I'm ran out of town. Paul says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Sometimes people get offended by stuff, especially things that I might say from the pulpit. You know, you're like, wow, I've never heard such a thing from the pulpit. The thing is, the Bible does a lot better job of saying controversial things than I ever could. I mean, look what Paul says here. I could wish that those who are being circumcised and telling you that you need to be circumcised, I wish that they would go the whole distance and castrate themselves. That's what Paul says here. And I think it's kind of a play on words. Because what Paul is not wanting is for them to propagate their teaching. And so it's kind of like he's saying, I wish they would make themselves sterile so that they can no longer reproduce this heresy. I wish they'd just go the whole way and cut themselves off. Very vivid language that Paul uses here. And so we've seen that we're free from approaching God by the law. We've also seen that we're free from living in legalism. And living in legalism is something that I've just never understood. But as we read this, it doesn't really capture how we would live in legalism today. It doesn't really capture that because nobody is going around telling you to be circumcised, especially if you're a woman today, right? It's, it doesn't really apply. But even as guys, nobody's saying that. I mean, when was the last time you had somebody ask you, hey, are you circumcised? And I've always, I've always wondered, even like back then, did they actually ask people this? You know, because this was really important to them. Did they like go up, hey, are you circumcised? Uh, yeah, well, prove it, you know. It's like... It just never, I, I never quite understood how they do that. But 
Um, you know, and then like, you remember when Abraham was told to circumcise his whole household? It's like, you know, he's out hearing from the Lord. He comes back in. Okay, guys, gather around. Um, got some bad news. Um, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, and it's, it's just like Timothy here. I mean, how did Paul break that to Timothy? Hey, bro, um, you know, let's go on a little walk here. Uh, just think, I think that you ought to do something. What's that, Paul? I'll, anything for you. Well, I think you ought to be circumcised. Whoa! You know, I mean, I'm committed and everything, but this might be the end of the line here. But we don't have that issue today. It's not really something that is a big deal. But there are other issues today. Other things that people get all freaked out about. You know, it's like, well, do you have a TV? Um, Well, I used to, you know, until you told me I shouldn't have one. Or, you know, hey, those people that hate TVs are coming over tonight. Uh, cram the TV in the closet, you know, hide it, um, you know, or yeah, I've got a TV, but we don't have cable. We just watch movies. You know, that's that's the big one that people like to say or, you know, I drive a clunker. I'm more righteous because I don't have a, a nice car. I drive a clunker. I live in a trailer down by the river, you know, and as if that makes you more spiritual or more righteous because you do these things or Another big one is, well, I homeschool my kids, and so that makes me more righteous than people that don't. And you can actually have these factions and, and this friction that will go on between people because they think that they're more righteous because they do these things, because they don't have a TV, because they drive a clunker that breaks down every day, or because they live in a trailer down by the river, or, you know, they, their kids... Don't go to the evil school sponsored by the government, you know. And we think that we're more righteous because of that. I remember in Bible college, there was this whole group of kids that came from this church that had just started out of a little Bible study in the guy's backyard. Guy had a Bible study going. Before he knows, he's got like 500 young adults coming. And it was a church. Well, they were totally immature and they didn't, really understand ministry and things were just kind of going haywire. And there was this whole group of of kids at school that he had sent, you know, and it just so happened that I was there during that time. And these kids really thought that they were more spiritual than everybody else because of the things they would do. And they would go out in the woods, you know, and they would seek God. and, And I was on security. And one night, I'm like locking down the facility and and I see this whole group of these kids coming out of the woods. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? It's like two in the morning. Oh, we've been seeking the Lord, brother. We've been worshiping and we've been reading the Bible. And and I'm like, well, that's really cool. But the thing is, is curfew's midnight and it's two in the morning. You guys are rebelling. Oh, don't judge us, brother. We're seeking God. And I remember this other kid... He got up for devotions, and every morning we would have devotions and worship, and it was it was like chapel, right? And this kid gets up there, this guy, and, and he says, you know what? I'm failing all my classes because all I do is seek the Lord. And I'm thinking, well, why are you even here? You know, you, you do that at home, you know? And, and then he's like, you know what? I've been fasting for two weeks, and I've lost 30 pounds. And I'm like, isn't there something about... You know, not talking about if you're fasting or not, you know. And, 
And he just went on and on with all this stuff, basically putting burdens on people, that he was more spiritual than everyone else. And it wasn't long after that he got kicked out of school. But there was this whole group of, of students that thought they were better than everybody else. And, and legalism does that. I don't do this. I do do that. I don't go here. I do go here. I'm not a part of this. I am a part of that. And, and you know, it, it can make you think that you're more spiritual. And that's the next point that Paul develops here. He says, look, if you really want to keep the law, then the law is summed up by loving people. See, you think you're keeping the law by being circumcised, at least they did, and by keeping all of these external commandments of God. And today people think they're doing really good because they don't have a TV or they homeschool their kids or, you know, they whatever they do. And, you know, they, they fast for two weeks and lose 30 pounds. Man, I'm more spiritual than, than everybody else. And Paul says, if you really want to keep the law, here's how you'll do it. You'll do it by getting your eyes off yourself, quit being so selfish, and start loving people. Start ministering to people. Start blessing people. Love fulfills the law. See, there were 600 commands. And then Micah said, Who has shown thee, O Lord, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's how you can relate to God. That's what God requires. He took... 600 commands, and he sort of shrunk them down into three. And then 400 years later or so, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, you want to know God? Here's the thing. Love the Lord with your whole being and love people. That fulfills the law. And then now Paul here in Galatians even simplifies it further. He says, look, if you want to relate to God, if you want to fulfill the law and know the Lord, then here's the thing. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we don't often think that that is how we can fulfill the law. We think it's by doing this or not doing that. And what that creates is not love, but division. Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. See, that's what legalism does. It destroys. It's a little bite here. It's a little comment there. And how many people have been literally destroyed by people who are, you know, judging them and looking down on them? I remember um, early on in my Christian walk, the church I was going to, there was this whole sort of group of homeschooling parents. And, and they thought they were better than everybody else in the church. You know, the, the moms wore skirts down to their ankles with tennis shoes, you know, and, and they didn't talk to anybody else. They were just, they were better than everybody else. And they had their own little newsletter that went out to everybody, you know, like homeschooling times or something. And we had this home group and there was a couple of the families from this group that came to the home group, and I, I was in charge of the kids. 
And I remember thinking, these kids are not normal. There's something wrong with these children. You know, what is going on here, you know? And it's not homeschooling. Homeschooling's great. It's, but it's not that. It's making your kids feel like they're better than everybody else. Because you do this. Because we don't send you to the great Satan. You know, we, we, we do the more righteous thing. And that creates this spiritual pride that can result. And it's really sad. Or people that, you know, don't have a TV and they judge people that do. Or all the other things we talked about. All of a sudden, you put yourself above other people. And you begin just to bite and devour. Little comments. Oh, you got a TV, huh? Yeah. Well, if you were really spiritual like me, you wouldn't have one. Oh, you, you, you got a car there, huh? Well, if you were really spiritual like me, you'd drive a clunker and you'd give that payment to missions. Hey, you know what? If that's what God is showing you to do, then that is an awesome thing to do. If God is showing you to live in a, in a small house or in a trailer down by the river, you know, or whatever, then, then praise the Lord if you're using those funds to further His kingdom. That's awesome. If God is showing you to homeschool your kids, then you better do that. But don't judge people that the Lord hasn't shown that to. You don't know their situation. You don't know their circumstances. And I'll tell you, I've seen homeschool kids that are more screwed up than kids that go to public school. I've seen public school kids that are on fire for Jesus and and vice versa. So it's not what we do or what we don't do. It's loving people. That's the important thing. We have to be careful that we don't put our burdens and our rules upon other people and try to make them conform to who we are. That's what is so great about the church. It's what is supposed to be great about the church, is that we're all different. We see things differently. And we need to love one another. You see, love would sit down with that person that has a TV and be able to watch a sporting event or a program with them and just be totally cool with that. You know, not obviously garbage, but if you didn't own a TV and you felt convicted about that, but you go over to dinner and, you know, the guy turns on Monster Garage or whatever and and love would just say, hey, I'm going to, you know, be all things to all men and just sit down and, and be cool with that. And the same would be true if the person that has the liberty to, to own a TV and he goes over and they don't have a TV, he wouldn't be like, well, what are we going to do tonight? You know, this is boring. You, it, it, you see that love just accepts people for the way they are. And that's how the church should be. But what we do is we bite and we devour. And we make little comments. But your, your kid wouldn't be doing that if they were homeschooled. Like my kids. You know, did you know that my kids are, you know, and start listing off all the tests that they do and how smart they are and, and all the things that they're doing. And, you know, meanwhile, the, the parent that's just struggling is, is just feeling totally condemned. We need to be careful with, with how we handle things and that we're not self-centered and self-focused because that's all that is. 
It's a spiritual pride that's just as destructive as any other kind of pride. Be careful lest you consume one another. And how many people have been consumed by the church, by Christian people? How many people do you talk to at work or out in the community that just say, you know what, I'll never go to church again because, and you fill in the blank, because this happened. Man, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see us biting and devouring and eventually consuming each other because we think we're better or we think our way is the only way. Love. Love your neighbor. Be able to to see things through other people's eyes. Be able to learn from one another. You know, maybe there's some convictions that someone has that you need to learn from. You say, you know what, maybe I ought to do that. Not because they're forcing it on you, but because you're challenged by them. The, the most challenging thing for me in, is when I hang around people who don't tell me how I should live, but just live it. And, you know, I have a friend who's, who's just got a, an amazing relationship with his wife, and he's, a, he's an awesome husband. And I, I look at him, and I see the way he does things, and it convicts me. I think, you know what, That's I ought to do that. I should be doing that. Or maybe you see people that just have an awesome devotion life with the Lord. And it's not because they're telling you, you should be reading your Bible every day or you're going to hell. It's because you see them opening the Word. You see them talking about what God's speaking to them. And it convicts and it challenges. You see, that is love. That's how we ought to be relating to one another. And we can learn. We can learn from people that, that have liberties in certain areas because maybe you're bound up a little bit too much. And we can learn from people that have convictions in certain areas because maybe you're too fleshly in that area. He says in verse 13 that we shouldn't be using our liberty as a license for sin. And that is key as well, is that we wouldn't go off in one extreme or the other. There's people that just want to try to relate to God purely by the law and by their own good works. And I mean, they're just fighting and struggling over here to be good. And then there's people over here that say, well, wow, I'm free in Christ. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And they start to use that popular phrase, don't judge me, brother. You know, yeah, I know I'm living with that gal that's not my wife, but don't judge me. I, you know, I'm free in Christ. You know, or other types of clearly sinful activities. And now it becomes a license for those things. And Paul says, no, that shouldn't be either. God's grace should actually bring righteousness and holiness. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if you do you want to fulfill the law? Serve people. Love people. Bless people. That's that's how we can fulfill the law. We don't often think of it like that. We think of it about what we're not doing, what we are doing, and we're pretty pleased with that. Meanwhile, 
we're just trashing people around us. Meanwhile, our eyes are firmly focused on ourselves. Meanwhile, we're not serving anybody. And that's not Jesus. Jesus didn't tell people how they ought to be doing things. Jesus just lived his life as an example. Jesus just blessed people. He loved people. He served people. He didn't tell Judas, hey, you shouldn't do this tonight. You shouldn't go and betray me. He, in fact, got down on his knees and he washed his feet. If there was anything that was going to deter Judas from what he was about to do, that would have been it. And even that didn't work. So do you think a lecture would have been more effective? Absolutely not. Judas was going to do what he was going to do. But Jesus set the example for us. Serve, love, bless. If you want to make a difference in people's lives, that's how you'll do it. Not by telling them what to do. Not by condemning them. Not by telling them how great you are and how horrible they are. No, just love them. Bless them. Be an example. Let's stand and pray together.